morning, church. All right, can do better than that. Good morning, church. Oh, that's much better. Hey, if you're new here, if this is your first time, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Deej. I'm one of the pastors here at Connect Committed Church. And I want to say welcome to you and welcome to everybody that is watching us online or on cable TV. We're so glad that you guys are here. And, and I have to just say a special welcome to my friend Emilio, all the way, all the way from Hillsong in Sydney, Australia. Uh, coming to visit us today. I'm so happy that he is with us. Such a surprise for me. So our lead pastor, Pastor Derek Fry, is not with us today. He is preaching at a different church uh, down in New Jersey called Vital Church. I love that name, Vital Church. But he's going to be back with us uh, next Sunday. But you can uh, get your worship guides out. We have a lot of topics to, to cover today. Uh, you can follow us on version as well um, with your smartphone. It's pretty easy to follow. Everything is there uh, as well. This is the second time we're doing this series called You Asked For It. Come on, say You Asked For It. Yes. And we're going to be addressing a, a series of questions today that you asked for it. And uh, the first week we talked about stress, which is uh, typically the number one question that you guys have is how do I handle stress in, a crazy, in the crazy world that we live in today? The second week we talked about purpose. Uh, we all know that we have a purpose, that we were created for a purpose, but how do I find out what that purpose is? That's the second uh, Sunday in the series. Last week, we talked about the end of days, the end of times, and it was like, you know, just like getting to know exactly what to expect next, what's coming, uh, and how everything will pan out at the end of times, and today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different, okay? Instead of just focusing in one subject, uh, I'm going to kind of bundle uh, together five different questions. Uh, that's why I'm calling it FAQs. Uh, but five different questions that you guys have asked. And uh, apparently this, these are hot topics. I mean, I'm trying to tackle uh, these five questions and try to um, uh, 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 answer them all into one service. Try to combine because you guys asked a lot of questions. And if it was for us to... If it was for us to address every question in a service, this series would last about four and a half years. So try to consolidate that a little bit. Are you with me? Uh, if this is the first time you're visiting or just watching online, um, this is not your typical service, okay? Uh, typically, we handle one subject at a time, but I'm going to go through five different subjects today. Some of them are faster than others, um, and they are really unrelated, but this is, again, just because you ask for it. Cool? All right, so as a church, we have some areas, some uh, uh, of our beliefs that we call them absolutes, okay? They are essential beliefs that we as a church need to be united. We need to be in agreement with. And these beliefs are such as, um, you know, there is a God. So we believe and we agree that there is a God. We also believe and agree that the Bible is the word of God. We also believe that there is uh, God the Son, Jesus the, uh, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That makes up the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. So those are things that we call them absolutes. And then everything else in the Bible that is very clear on what you have to do or what you don't have to do or, or, or you can do or cannot do, those are absolutes that we need to stand in agreement. There are many other areas, however, that can be, let's say, open to interpretation. And there's no reason for us to really make a stance about it because then it just fractures the church and just splinters the church even more yeah. that it has already been splintered. So, but, so we have the essentials, we have the non-essentials, but in all of our beliefs, we show grace and respect towards each other. Can I have an amen? amen? 
All right, good. Um, you know, a big sign of maturity um, is when we are able to relate and we're able to talk and do life with people that believe or maybe behave a little bit differently than we do. You know, we can either move into isolation or isolate that person or we can lean in. Uh, and, and, and either influence that person or be influenced by that person. It's amazing how much we can learn if we only allow ourselves to learn from somebody else. Um, and, uh, you know, just because you think a certain way or maybe just because you were raised a certain way or taught a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that that way is right. Hmm. It may be so, but it may not be. So let's let the Word of God speak to these questions. Can I have an Amen. All right, let's just, let's just pray. Father God, thank you so much, God, for everyone that is here this, today, this morning. God, I pray that you use me, Lord, and use my words. Make my words your words, God. And I pray that you help everybody here, including myself, Lord, to just be ready to receive what you have for us. Uh, keep an open mind, Lord, and, and just let us be challenged by you, Lord, and, and to see the things the way you see. In Jesus' name, and everybody said a big amen, amen and, and amen. I'll start with this little story about this girl. Uh, a little girl was at a bus stop, and uh, while waiting for, for the bus, she's just talking about the Bible. And she's going on and on and on about the Bible. So then this one guy gets fed up with all of that because he doesn't believe in any of the Bible. And then so he starts to, you know, question her, trying to squash her little, uh, uh, you know, conversation she's having. So, so he asks her, so do you really believe in the Bible? She says, yes, I do. And then he says, well, do you believe in all the miracles in the Bible? And then she says, well, yes, I do. I believe in all the miracles in the Bible. And then he says, like, well, even, like, the Jonah miracle, you know, like, it was swallowed by a whale, like, and spit out three days later and still alive. Do you even believe that one? And she said, yeah, I, I do. I do believe that one. And then he says, well, how is that even possible? You know, trying to corner her. Uh, but, but how is that even possible? And she said, well, I really don't know. But when I get to heaven, I can ask him. And then he said, well, what if he's not in heaven? And then she said, well, then you can ask him. All of that to say, all of that to say that I believe in the Bible. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, the infallible, unchanging, living Word of God. And everything that we're going to be talking about, the different topics that we're covering today, I'm going to be giving you answers according to the Bible. If the Bible has something specific to say it, I'll... I'll, I'll mention it right here. If the Bible doesn't have anything specific to say, I'll draw from principles found in the Bible. And then I'm going to give you my opinion on the matter. And of course, you have uh, the right to agree with me or you certainly have the right to be wrong. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Are we good? Are we ready to go? All right. So uh, first question. This is basically a follow-up of last Sunday's message. Before we even left the building last Sunday, we already had people sending us text messages or, you know, Facebook messages and uh, asking us about this question. I actually had a few different encounters throughout the week, uh, people asking about this question. I told them, you got to come on Sunday and then you're going to hear about it. But uh, the question is this. Question number one. This is your fill in the blanks. Is it okay to be cremated? Is it okay to be cremated? Again, these questions are not related to each other. Uh, and I'm going to go in different directions all over the map here today. So stay with me, okay? Is it okay to be cremated? I guess the most common reason why people ask that is because the Bible says that one day the dead in Christ will rise. And we're going to meet Jesus in the air. And people wonder, if I'm cremated, how would that work? You know, like some people, they are cremated and they, they, they have their last wishes of, you know, having their ashes spread out in the ocean or, or, or this place or that place. And how would that work if we are 
to, to, to our bodies better, uh, kind of to come back together and meet Jesus in the air, how would that work? That's the premises for this question for most people. Now, here we have uh, uh, people that believe one thing and we have people that believe another thing. And we're going to expose them both uh, and with also the scriptures that they base themselves on. And then we're going to tell you what my opinion is. So those that believe that cremation is wrong or, or is a sin, uh, they base themselves on scriptures found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. That says, don't you know, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that your body, your physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit? They also base themselves in another uh, scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, that says this, God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. They also argue, again, this is not scripture now, but they argue in their minds, they argue that cremation is a lack of respect towards God's creation. As the Bible says in Psalm 139, 14, that we are what? That we are wonderfully and fearfully made. The Bible also says uh, in Ephesians 2, 10, that we are God's workmanship. So we are God's creation. And uh, in, in destroying this body, whether like, like through burning it, basically cremation, um, we can be lacking respect uh, towards God's creation. That's, that's one side. The other side of the coin, however, those that believe that cremation is okay... They base themselves in the scripture all the way back in Genesis 3.19 that says, From dust we came, and to dust we shall return. From dust we came, to dust we shall return. We all know that if we are to be buried, we are going to end up in dust eventually, right? It will take a long time, but it's going to get there. So they claim that if uh, you are cremated, you also end up in dust. But it's just a whole, a whole lot faster uh, for you to get there. So also they argue... That the first scripture that uh, the other side uh, uses, do, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? They argue that that text within the context that Paul is talking to the church in Corinth about sexual immorality. So it's a different context. That's one. Two, they also argue that, yes, the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit doesn't inhabit a dead body. So once the body, once the person has passed away, the Holy Spirit is no longer found in the body. Well, that's the other side of the coin. Um, now, I will say this, however. If you're looking not necessarily for the law or what you have to do or what you can't do, but if you're looking for a biblical example of what we find uh, in the scriptures, you're going to find that burial is the most commonly used in all throughout scriptures. You, you don't see necessarily a lot of people being cremated. There are some examples here. Uh, uh, in the Bible of people being cremated, but it's not the norm, okay? So if you're looking for a biblical example to follow, it would be burial. But I'm not saying that this is the only right way. We're just saying that this is a biblical example to follow. And the biggest examples we can get from the Bible of that is God himself uh, burying um, Moses. And you can find that in Deuteronomy 35, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you can find that there. You're going to see that God himself buried Moses. You fast forward to the life of Jesus or to the death and uh, burial of Jesus. Jesus himself was buried. He was not cremated. Again, this is not to be legalistic. and This is, this is what you have to do. But if you're looking for an example uh, in the Bible, a line to follow instead of the law to follow, this is what you're going to find. Having said that, I think that this is my opinion. I think that this is a personal decision, okay, as there's nothing in the Bible that prohibits cremation or really makes it a sin, 
It's really a personal decision. It may very well be the only option that you have based on your finances or different circumstances. Uh, in Japan, 97% of people are cremated because they don't have real estate. They don't have land to bury, their, the, uh, bury the people. So and in some parts of Japan, you don't even have the option. Uh, so again, it doesn't apply here, but just to say that you might not have the option because of different circumstances. But I think that this is much less about what you choose to do. I think it's much more about the approach that you choose to, to take when making such a decision. My advice to you is to first talk to God. Pray, pray and talk to God and, 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 and just follow whatever conviction that uh, brings to you. Then choose based on the best way that it would honor uh, God, that would honor the disease. I mean, if you're choosing it for yourself, for your future, or maybe you're choosing it for somebody that passed away, uh, just choose based on, on the way they would honor God, the, a way they would honor the deceased, and the way that would give you and whoever uh, else is, is, is left behind, let's say, uh, um, the best sense of closure. Are we good? Yeah. All right. All right. Moving on to question number two. Question two. Will I still be married in heaven? <laughs> Will I still be married? Apparently, y'all want to know if we're going to be married in heaven. Now, some of you here are thinking, I hope so because I love my wife, I love my husband, and I want to be you know, married with them forever and ever. And maybe some of you are thinking like, oh my gosh, I hope not, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one thing to commit, you know, for 40 or 50 years on this earth, but I definitely don't want to think about eternity. Just thinking about it makes me want to run. <laughs> but anyways, are you ready for it? Yeah. All right, the answer is no. Come on, say aww. Even though you're thinking, thank God. <laughs> All right. The answer is no. The Bible is very, very clear on this. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, it says this. In the resurrection, people will not marry or be given in marriage. That's it. Very plain and simple. I am, however, praying that my wife is my next door neighbor in heaven. <laughs> so if you ever come to visit and I'm not there, you know where to find me. Uh, all right, moving on, moving on. Question number three. You ready for it? All right, question number three. If the Bible says that God doesn't give me more than I can handle, why do I often feel overwhelmed? Hmm, if the, God, if the Bible says that God doesn't give me more than I can handle, then why do I feel overwhelmed? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm overwhelmed. Uh, now, the answer to this is this. To the contrary of what many people think, the Bible actually does not say that. That's not in the Bible. Uh, the, the people misuse or misquote a scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 that says this. I mean, it's going to be on the screen. It says it. And God is what? Faithful. Faithful. And he will not let you be tempted, tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So that's the scripture that people misuse all the time. And I've seen many people try to encourage somebody else by saying that. But that's not necessarily in the Bible. You know, A plus for the effort, but it's not necessarily <laughs> in the Bible. Uh, so for any kind of temptation, he, God, will provide us a way out. That goes to show that every now and then, God will allow us to get into situations that we can handle. Because he wants to draw us to him. And he wants to get our attention for us to turn to him and ask for help. Because the Bible says that he will provide a way out. It doesn't say that you will figure it out on your own. 
he will provide a way out. Can I have an amen? amen. All right, moving on. I know we're flying through, but we're going to park on uh, number four and number five a little bit. Number four, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a question that I believe everyone in this room have already asked one time or another. Maybe you're asking that today. Why do bad things happen to good people? We're talking about a tough subject here uh, to address fully and completely. You know, I, I can't address this 100% because there's so many variations of bad things. There's so many variations of difficulties and trials and suffering. So I can't do 100%. But uh, as I'm talking, you know, just get the principles out of what I'm talking and apply it to whatever situation that you're in. Now, as a, as a pastor, I've seen uh, uh, many times I have to deal with this. You know, people, you know, bad stuff happening to people and including to myself every now and then. But I've seen one too many times people just, you know, take a, a turn in the wrong direction because of a trial, because of a, a difficulty. And then all of a sudden they, 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 they start looking at the world through the lenses of anger and bitterness and victimization and, and just like bad, bad things and, and resentment instead of, you know, love and uh, forgiveness and hope and grace. So I hope that as I address this, that, that I shed some light into this topic for you. So let me give you the, the Christian perspective on why bad things happen to good people. There are five major areas or five major reasons why bad things happen to good people. I'm going to go through the five of them, but the fifth one is the one that I'm going to camp uh, the most, okay? So number one, our, word, uh, our world is stained and corrupted by sin. When sin entered the world, all the way back with Adam and Eve, all kinds of bad stuff entered with it. Sickness, diseases, pain, deception, betrayal, greed, I mean, you name it. Everything, uh, 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 selfishness, pride, everything bad entered the world through sin. And now, unfortunately, we have to live with it. So that's one reason why bad things happen to good people. Second reason, there are times that God will test us. I, I said this in the past. God, uh, the devil will tempt us to move us backward. God will test us to move us forward. And God will definitely test us from time to time because he needs to, uh, he's interested in uh, shaping our character. He's interested in making us better. He's interested in getting us to be even closer to him when trial strikes. And the Bible says that faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. So we, we may be all like good in, in you know, God, uh, la la land, and then all of a sudden trouble strikes. That's when your faith is being tested. And God allows us to do that in order for us to, be, to, to, to endure and for us to be close to him. So that's number two. Number three, uh, we have an enemy, and he works full-time uh, on, on his mission, which is to kill, steal, and destroy anything that matters to God. And guess what? You and I matter to God. So he is always trying to find a way to take you out. Now, you may not see him necessarily working his evil plans on every turn of the way, but you do see uh, him acting every now and then because he acts, he waits patiently, and he acts uh, and he jumps on you, he pounces exactly when you're at the weakest point in your life, exactly when you're the most vulnerable. But make no mistake, he is always planning to take you down. And we have that fight. The enemy is always trying, trying to take you down. Number four, we have free will. We have free will. Now, God did not program us like little robots, you know, to come on Sunday morning, sing him a few songs and worship him. Because what would that be worth to him? Not much. 
right, if we're programmed to do so. But God gave us free will. So we have the free will to either love God or reject God. And with free will comes the potential to fall, for fallout. There's always a potential for something bad to happen. Like I have my phone here in my hand. I, I can decide whether or not I drop it, okay? It's an iPhone, so I won't drop it. If it was an Android, probably. <laughs> but, but I'm holding my iPhone right here, and uh, I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to drop it. So if I drop it, you know, the Holy Spirit is not going to hold it midair because it's not the will of God. No, it's my, it's my will to either drop it or not. I have free will to choose that. Now, if I do it, it might fall on the ground and it will maybe break and maybe it will, it will like the shatter, like the pieces will go here in the front row, maybe get somebody hurt. Now, that's me using my free will interfering with these people's lives. You see what I'm saying? So God gave us free will, and because of that, there's potential for bad things to happen to good people. Are you enjoying this so far? All right, number five. This is the last one, and, and it's the most important one in my opinion. Why do bad things happen to good people? The thing is, the question is fundamentally flawed. The question is, fu that is fundamentally wrong. The question is, 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 why do bad things happen to good people? The answer is bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things, they happen to bad people because we are bad people. Now, you, you might be thinking, okay, great. That's a great takeaway. Uh, but listen, like you, you might push back and say, but I'm not a bad person. You know, I go to church every Sunday. I tithe out of my income and I help other people. I, I fund ministries all over the world that are preaching the gospel. I go on mission trips and I feed the hungry. I, I shelter the, 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 the homeless and like, I venture to say that there's probably nobody in this room that does all that. But even if you did, even if you did, uh, you're still not good people. You're still bad people. And I'll, and I'll prove you. I'll prove you that you're bad people just like I am. Because we, we decide on what is good based on a decision or based on an analysis that we do. We set the standard this way. So I look at all of you guys and I... And I see, okay, this person is behaving this way, this, this person behaving that way, this person behaving that way. And based on that, I get a healthy medium uh, uh, somewhere in the middle that defines what good is. Anything above that is, is great. Everything, anything below that is not so great. Am I right? We do that all the time. So we gauge what is good and what is not good based on this level. But the Bible calls us to measure our goodness against God's goodness and then things change a little bit. Am I right? So we, we set the standard, but in reality, God has, is the standard of goodness. And we're not good people. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how much we do. The Bible says that our goodness or our, our good deeds are like filthy rags compared to God's goodness. Now, some people misunderstand this. Some people think that, you know, God look as, uh, looks at what we do and he thinks that everything is filthy rags. That's not true. Everything that we do good is good, but when compared to God's goodness, it's like filthy rags. This is just to really exaggerate a contrast, a point of contrast here, that everything that we do, even though it's great, has, like, doesn't even compare with God's goodness. And then when we compare ourselves to God's goodness, then we realize that we're really not good people, aren't we? We, we realize that we're not good people. And then we realize that bad things happen to bad people. You and I are bad people. But you may say, you know, but I'm not as bad as 
this person or maybe I'm not as bad as that person. Okay, hypothetically, I agree that I'm not perfect like God. Okay, fine. But I'm not as bad as this person. So I, I, I may not be as, as good as Judy here, but I'm definitely not as, as bad as Devin. Like I'm not as bad as Devin. You know, and it's funny because we, we think to ourselves, you know, like uh, uh, um, I, I'm doing everything right and, and so-and-so is doing everything wrong. And they are being blessed. You know, their, their finances are, are, are exploding. They're, they're getting opportunity after opportunity. I mean, the, 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 he found the, the women of his dreams or, or she found the guy of his dreams, uh, her dreams. And, and, but in me, like I'm not even nearly as bad as, as that person and nothing is happening to me. Actually, bad things are happening to me. And then when that happens, we either think it or say it. But I believe that everyone in this room at one point or another have alluded to the fact that God is not what? Fair. That God is not fair. Because if this is happening to him, and he is so much worse than I am based on my analysis, then God is not fair. And my answer to you is, sure, God is not fair. God is not fair. Now, you might be thinking, like, did he really say that God is not fair? Yes, I did. God is not fair. God is not fair according to our definition of fairness. Let me explain. Fairness for us is defined as people just getting exactly what they deserve, whether it's good, uh, a good reward, uh, or a bad reward. So that's, that's how we, or not a bad reward, like a you know, penalty kind of thing. Uh, that's how we define what fairness is. And if we were to live on that paradigm, and, and if we were to require God to be fair, what would we get? What would we get for, for the sins that, that we have? What do we deserve for that we deserve eternal damnation and separation from God. So I thank God that He is not fair according to our standard of fairness. Can I have an amen? amen. God is definitely not fair according to our uh, definition of fairness. But if we raise the bar to Him, we understand then that the question is wrong. It's not why bad things happen to good people, but is why do so many good things happen to bad people? And that is really the essence of the gospel. If God was fair, we would be in trouble uh, when it comes to our definition of fairness. However, Psalms 103.10 says this. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. So then now you clearly see that God is not fair according to our definition of fairness. But God is truly fair because in his fairness, he needs and he requires every sin to be paid for. Now, in his goodness, because God is always good, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and I. So in that way, we don't have to pay for our sins. So God is ultimately just. However, we, are, we see fairness through the uh, medium of, of merit. Basically, what you do, this is what you get, either good or bad. God sees fairness based on his grace. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because he already paid, Jesus Christ already paid the price for our sins. Can I have an Amen. Now, the best opportunities to experience God's goodness is really not when things are going well. It's not when everything is doing is, is, is great. But it is when, when we're going through, you know, trials. The Bible says that all things, not half of the things, not most of the things, not when you guys come on Sunday for four, four Sundays in a row and, uh, and you're doing so good in your church attendance and you guys are being like good little Christian boy or good little Christian girl. Now, the Bible says that all things from Monday through Monday, all things happen 
for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We may not really understand why God took somebody, somebody from us so early. We may not understand why our finances really never move forward. We may not understand why we are fighting a, a disease without cure. We may not understand why God gave us a child with a disability. Hmm. This one, this last one hits me hard. It hits me hard because I think it's such a part of my honesty, but it's such a selfish way to think that, that we are being punished when God gave us a child with a disability. I think it's such a selfish way uh, to believe this and to see this. I have a friend that turned his back on God because of that, because they, they got a child with a disability. Just saying that he is not perfect, the child is not perfect. That's an insult to God. God created every single one of us with or without any disabilities. God created every one of us. And to say that something or someone is not perfect is an insult to God. It's to say, God, you messed up. Everybody else did good, but this one you messed up. And that is an insult to God. We can be different from one another. We can definitely be different. And thank God for, uh, for the fact that we are different from each other. Uh, but everything, everything that God creates is perfect. And God's intention, God has a purpose for every single person that is born and that purpose is always to draw people to him. Always to draw people to him. I believe that God chooses people that are special in order to take care of special kids. But it's a sad thing to see when parents, parents they turn their back to God. And they, they, they blame God and, 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 and they simply don't accept that beautiful task which is to raise a child. It gets me so mad just to think about it. The problem is problem is that we always try to make sense why God does things the way he does. And, and I'm telling you, if you're doing that, stop. Stop. Don't try to understand God. No one can fully comprehend God. If you could or if anyone could understand God, God really wouldn't be a God, would he? He couldn't be a God. If you can't fully understand him, he wouldn't be a God. We may not know the answer to these questions. Some of these questions are revealed to us later in life. Some of them are not. Some of them we're going to find out in heaven. Some of them we may never find out. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that there are things that belong to the Lord and to the Lord only. But we, gotta, we have a choice when we're going through a trial. We have a choice. Do we trust God or don't we trust God? We know that his ways are perfect and his ways are higher. He sees things that, that we don't see. We can either trust him or not trust him. It, it is our choice. But I'm warning you and, and, and urging you to trust God. Because he knows best. Can I have an amen? amen? All right. Take a deep breath. Whew. All right. Next question. Next question. Question number five. Can people that commit suicide go to heaven? Can people that commit suicide go to heaven? In the U.S. alone, each year, about one million people attempt suicide. That's a lot of people. About one million people. And sadly, about one in every 15 succeed. That is, that is a lot of people. Give or take 67,000. If you're doing the math in your head, I'll just help you. About 67,000 people per year, they um, take their own lives here in the U.S. So knowing that and also knowing that there are people in this room that have lost loved ones to suicide, 
having people in this room that have contemplated suicide in the past. Or maybe even people in this room that have contemplated that recently. I promise I'm going to be able to, I'm going to try to uh, tackle this in the most gentle um, and compassionate way as I know how. Because I know it's a sensitive subject. Also, many of us in this room, this is a challenge uh, to you guys. Many of us in this room really grew up learning or, or, or were taught that anyone that commits suicide cannot go to heaven. Many people are taught that way. So I just want you to keep an open mind. Don't listen to my words necessarily, but listen to the word of God as I'm going to uh, go into it right now. Amen. So here we have again the two sides. One side that thinks they won't go to heaven. One side that thinks they can go to heaven. Uh, those who say they won't go to heaven, they typically use the scripture found in 1 John 3.15 that says this. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So taking a life, whether it's someone else's or your own, is murder. And anyone that is a murderer won't go to heaven according to this piece of scriptures. But text is nothing without context. Just saying. Uh, those, the other side of the coin, like those that say that it's not necessarily that simple. Uh, they mention Samson in the, in the Old Testament in the Bible. Who took his own life trying to take out the Philistines. And, but he ended up at Hebrews 11, you know, the chapter of the faith. Hmm. Uh, indicating or, or, or implying that he will spend eternity in heaven. So which is it? Now, here's my take on it. I see only one sin in the Bible that is not um, forgivable, that there is no forgiveness for. And that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit against the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into it now, uh, what it is or how does it look like because I don't have the time. But that's the only sin in the Bible that can't be forgiven. Apart from that, however, whatever it is, it falls under God's grace. It does not fall outside of God's grace. Now, suicide is definitely a sin. But it does not fall outside of God's grace. It does not fall outside of God's grace. If the person has accepted the sacrifice of the cross as payment for their sins, past, present, and future. A believer can be a believer can be a Christ follower, can be here every Sunday, can be part of the dream team and still uh, live in bondage and still struggle with, you know, demonic oppression. You still struggle uh, being tormented by the devil. A believer can and the devil will do that as much as he possibly can. And the people that have a tendency uh, uh, for that, the devil will drive them in a very narrow path, very narrow, and just telling them, telling them that, uh, there is no possible way out. That there is no other way for you to end your pain. There's no other way for you to end your shame. There's no other way for you to stop what is happening. The only way for you to escape is to end your own life. That's what the devil says. says. And he is constantly lying to people. But he does that so many times that unfortunately sometimes he gets to, to, to win. He gets people to believe it. Many people are very quick to condemn the action of suicide. But not many people think or analyze about what led to the action. How many times have we done something stupid? How many times have we done something wrong, sinful, that we know it's sinful, but we do it anyways? And we know while we're doing it, 
that we keep on doing it. I don't know about you, but me, many times. Too many. Too many I, I cannot even count. Now, it might look differently for you than it looks for me. It might be, I'm going to oversimplify this. There are areas in, in the town of Ashland that the speed limit is 25 miles an hour. According to the Bible, uh, and if anyone is hearing me in the town of Ashland, please change that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but if anyone goes at 26 miles an hour, they're sinning. Because the Bible says in Romans 13 that we should obey the law of the land. And we should obey the authority's place in this, in this earth. So if we are at 26 miles an hour, we're sinning. I don't know about you, but I usually travel at 30 or 35 uh, all over the map. 20, uh, 25 miles is, is the speed in which I speed walk. I'm kidding. That's, that would be weird. But so and, and we, we do it knowingly. Whether the speed limit on mass bike is 65 and you're driving at 75 cruising for an hour. Everything is fine with that, right? But we're wrong. We know we're wrong, but we still do it anyways. So it might be that or it might be, you know, trying to lie to a police officer about like why you were speeding uh, I mean I tried that a couple times didn't work uh, but you know while I was doing this this is way in the past okay don't do that anymore but while I was doing that I remember just like being filled with conviction and the Holy Spirit like this is wrong but I, I thought like if I back out now it's gonna get worse so I'll just I'll just keep on going until the end and then I felt horrible later Horrible. And that whole interaction lasted like, what, five minutes, give or take. But for you, it might be different. Maybe you're much better than I am. Uh, for you, it might be different. Maybe, maybe you're flipping through the channels at home or you're surfing the net, uh, uh, looking for something on Google. All of a sudden, you see something that you like. You know where I'm going with this, right? All of a sudden, you see something you like. You go back on the channel or hit the back button. And then all of a sudden, you, you find yourself just like, you know, your jaw drops and you're looking at something that you like or, or someone. Hmm that you like and you like what you see all of a sudden your mind wanders and you're you're thinking things you shouldn't think you're fantasizing about things that you shouldn't fantasize and you know deep down that you're wrong but you look around there's nobody else this is seemingly not hurting anyone it's just a little bit of fun for you eventually the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaks so strongly that you end up you end up like waking up like oh my gosh no no this this is wrong I'm so sorry God I don't know I think that this happens to a lot of us in this room or, or has happened from time to time. And then the question comes, what if, what if something happens, you're struck by lightning right in the middle of the act? So you don't have time to repent. You don't have time to you know, fall on your knees and say, please God forgive me. But what happens if you die right in the middle of the act? Do you go to hell? Hmm. This brings me to one of my favorite uh, scriptures in Galatians 2.21 that says this. If righteousness, and I like to break this down. If righteousness, which is right standing with God, okay, is your, uh, the, the right to go to heaven, your relationship with God. If righteousness can be reached or attained or acquired through the law. What is the law? The law is, is doing everything right and not doing anything wrong. If it can be attained through the law then Christ would have died for nothing. Nothing. There's another Bible version, the same verse uh, called the voice that paraphrases it and it says, like, it says like this. If being right with God depends on how we measure up to the law, then 
the anointed sacrifice or Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the most tragic waste in all of history. The heaven or hell issue has nothing to do with what you do or what you don't do. The heaven or hell issue has everything to do with your position when it comes to Jesus Christ. We tend to categorize sin. We tend to think that this is a big sin. Uh, this is a small little sin. Uh, and we think that God or, or we overimpose, we superimpose that God does the same thing. That God sees it that way. And that is not true. The Bible says that the weight of one sin is the weight of a thousand sins. So for God, that it makes no difference what kind of sin. One sin separates you from God. No sin can separate you from the love of God. Can I have an amen? amen? Every sin on earth is the same to God, but definitely not the same to us. If I drive through Ashland at 40 miles an hour, I might get a ticket. I may even get a warning. Now, if I drive through Ashland at 130 miles an hour, drunk, with a kid in the back, uh, in the back seat, how many of you think I'm going to only get a warning? No. We're going to end up in jail for a long time. Right? Because consequences on this level is very different than consequences on this level. For God, it's the same thing. It's a sin, period. But on this level, the consequences are different. Suicide is, in fact, a sin on this level. But it has death, the end of one's existence, as the consequence on this level. That's the consequence on this level. But it has nothing to do with what happens on this level. If the person had not accepted Jesus as their Savior before they committed suicide, uh, they would not go to heaven. But that would be the same if you were hit by a car. That would be the same if you lost your battle against cancer. It would be the same if you fell off of a building. Because the important thing is not how you die. The important thing is where your trust lies. And that is in the name of Jesus Christ. Is suicide a sin? Definitely. Does it fall outside of God's grace? Absolutely not. Look at what the Bible says. Romans 8.38 says this. For I am convinced that nothing, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Amen. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears of today or tomorrow or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. Neither death or life can separate you from the love of God. John 10.28 says this. I give them, just Jesus talking, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. The determining factor of heaven and hell hinges on your position about Jesus Christ and nothing else. Now I say this with extreme caution. And I beg you to never ever use this as a uh, justification for your rationalization about making a decision like this. Never. Never. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what dark moment you're going through now or may come in the future. Suicide is never the answer. Never the answer. You end up just living a, 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 a wake of sorrow and pain and agony uh, behind. It's never the answer. God is the answer. If you ever contemplate suicide, never the answer. If you're contemplating it right now or have recently, I urge you and I beg you, to not leave this place today without getting prayed for. We have prayer up front here. Just come and get prayed for and be, and be set free. Can I have an amen? amen? All right, stand on your feet.
Now, maybe you're here today and, and you're not thinking about suicide or, or you haven't thought about suicide. But still, you know, when things get tough, when, quote unquote, bad things happen to good people, where do we run? Where do we run? We know that if we, if we do something wrong, we are covered by grace. I just, I just said that. But where do we run? When you have a dark moment, where do you go? Do you go to God? This is going to get heavy. But bear with me. Do you go to God or do you go to a drink? When you're having a tough moment, do you go to God or do you go to drugs? Do you go to God or do you go to uh, pleasure? Do you go to God or do you go to self-hurt? Do you go to God or, you go to, or do you go to violence? Where do you go? When things get tough, where do you go? God does not want us to be lukewarm Christians. Now, what is it to be a lukewarm Christian? Lukewarm Christian is someone that wants to be, that does not want to be free from their uh, a sin. They just want to be free from the penalty of their sin. Very different thing. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, let's give people around us just a little bit of privacy. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If this message is talking to you, and if it's just moving you, kind of nudging you in, in, in the right direction on, uh, and kind of convicting you too, that maybe you're not seeing God as, as your source. Maybe you're not seeing God as, 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 as the place that you run to, as your, as your safe place. As, if that's you today, again, every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand. I see so many hands being raised. Praise God. Now you can put your hand down. Now, next question I have is for, for the people that are here, maybe watching online, and you can respond right there where you are. It doesn't matter where you are, if you're in your couch or whatever, you can respond right there. There's no distance uh, impediments here. But maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart to Christ. Maybe you don't have this assurance, maybe you don't have the security that I was talking about. That salvation has nothing to do with what you do, but it's everything to do with who you know. And if you have not invited Christ into your life yet, if you have not surrendered your efforts to get to heaven on your own and swapped or, or, or exchanged that for the payment that Christ did on the cross for you, for all of your sins, past, present, future, if you haven't done that before and you just want to surrender to Christ today, please go ahead and raise your hand. But just between me, you and God, I promise not to embarrass. I see that hand. Thank you. I promise not to embarrass you. I promise not to ask you anything. I just want to know. I see that hand in the back too. Thank you. All right, church, just join me in this prayer. Say, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I thank you for being a fair God. But in your goodness, you offered up your own son to pay for all of my sins. Past and future and present. Past, present, future. God, I thank you that I am now saved. I thank you that I am now righteous before you.
I invite you into my life and I surrender my life to you. And from this day forward, I live for you. In Jesus' name. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, this awesome uh, service, God. Thank you for everybody that raised their hands. God, I pray that you stir in their hearts, God, uh, the need to go to you. God, just show everybody here today, God, that you are the answer. For, like, just like Vanessa said, you are the I am. Whatever it is that we lack, you have. And you are the true source for everything, Lord. God, I pray that for everybody that is here today, Lord, that, that goes through a struggle, that goes through anything bad, Lord, that they may look to you, Lord, that they may run to you and not from you, and that they may uh, know, Lord, that you are the true source of strength, of power, of knowledge and wisdom, God. And I thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. amen.